You're listening to Wake Up with Patty Catter, where we're overcoming trials with triumphs. Now, here's your host, Patty Catter. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me again this week. Today, I have Eli Crane with me on the show. Eli is best known for being a brave Navy SEAL, and he owns a company called Bottle Breacher. Welcome to the show, Eli. Patty, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in your story because um, not only were you a face our fast-paced Navy SEAL, uh, I heard you're running for Congress or something, so we'll get into that too later. Um, yep. But if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, no, thank you. I was uh, born in born in Tucson, Arizona, um, stayed here for a couple years, and then my, my parents moved us down to uh, Yuma, Arizona. Uh, my dad uh, is is still a pharmacist to this day. And so he got a good offer down in Yuma, Arizona. And so we grew up, um, you know, down in the desert, one of the hottest places in the country. And so, uh, yeah, that's I spent the next probably uh, 16 years there. Left when I was about 18 years old, um, 18, 19 years old, um, you know, going to college, just starting college and then uh, transferred up to the University of Arizona, spent couple years there and then um and then joined the navy uh joined the navy from there so i grew up you know in arizona and uh we're back here now mm-hmm. so what in the world made you want to join the navy and then did you think that you were going to go to be a navy seal or what was the scoop there the reason i wanted to join the navy was the only reason was because of the seal teams and so you know, I, I definitely looked into the Army and the Marine Corps. Uh, those were the other two primary ones I was looking at. And I was looking at their special programs as well. And, you know, I just the, the SEAL teams were, you know, something that uh, definitely attracted, you know, me. And uh, so I ended up, you know, going that direction. But the, the bad thing about going that direction, you know, for those young men that are looking uh, possibly doing something like that is that um, if you don't make it through SEAL teams uh, into the SEAL teams, then you go out to a ship. Whereas in the Marine Corps or the Army, you know, you can go to a, another combat unit, an infantry unit, etc. And so that was a, a pretty painful lesson for me. I I knew it going in, but I just really wanted so badly to become a SEAL that I was like, I'll risk it and I'll risk spending multiple years on a ship. And I, I ended up getting just just that. Mm-hmm. So when you were younger, what did you want to do? Because you mentioned you did go to college before you joined the Navy. Yeah. So I honestly, like a lot of young men, I wanted to play, I wanted to play sports. And then I, I really wanted to play uh, football in college, um, you know, and uh, unfortunately I, I came to the hard reality that I, I wasn't good enough to do that. And so um, I started looking at, but I also always wanted to be in the, the military as well. And so um, I grew up in Yuma and there's a Marine Corps air station in Yuma. And so a lot of the uh, young men and women that I looked up to when I was younger were Marines. And so that was something that my parents always taught me and my brothers, Hey, you know, these people are special. Um, you know, they do something that is so much bigger than themselves. And, um, you know, that, that was always really attractive to me. And so, um, when I got the opportunity, um, well, I think a lot of, a lot of people have the opportunity, but I was going to college at the University of Arizona, and then nine um, eleven happened, um, and I actually that was my senior year, the beginning of my senior year that that um, started, and so I actually ended up dropping out of school 
the very next week and uh, enlisting in the Navy. Wow. What did your parents think of that? You know, um, I think I called both of them. I let them know because, you know, I definitely wanted to respect my parents and, you know, their wishes and their even their support in helping me with school. And so um, I don't know that they were super surprised, but I think that they were definitely a little concerned as any parent would be, especially at that time, um, that day and time in American history. So, uh, but they, they, they supported me the entire time that I was in the military and my little brother, you know, uh, did the same thing. And he was at the Naval Academy at the time and they were supportive of him as well. And so I think that I'm grateful to have had parents that understand that freedom isn't free and that oftentimes you, you can't, you know, ask other people to go do what, you know, you're not um, willing to support your own children in doing. So, you know, they were supportive of it. Mm -hmm. Wow. That must've been a little hard, uh, especially maybe for the mom. Yeah. <laughs> Probably for the dad too. Just sometimes they don't vocalize it. I know. Right. Um, so tell me about you going into the Navy. You're going through regular boot camp. Is that what you do in the Navy too, compared to the other branches? Yeah. You go through regular boot camp. I, I think some people probably and accurately, you know, will joke around that Navy boot camp is like boot camp light compared to, uh, you know, some of your Army and your Marine Corps boot camps that I think are <clears throat> intended to be a little bit more physical. Um, and I honestly would have preferred that as opposed because that's exactly what I was targeting. That's what I was um, working towards with SEAL training. And that was the thing that attracted me about SEAL training was that a lot of the literature that I read. Um, said that it was the toughest training in the Department of Defense. And so, um, you know, boot camp was really, really, uh, you, you know, like for most people is really tough, especially because, you know, I mean, obviously they take your, all of your freedoms, your liberties, your independence, um, ind any individuality is stripped from you from the moment you get off that bus. Um, but then for me, it was hard too, because I joined the military to fight and to be trained to fight and in Navy boot camp, that's really not what Navy boot camp is about. You know, it's about teaching you discipline and, you know, you spend more, more time folding your clothes and folding your, you know, making your bed and, you know, standing at attention and learning the things that I wanted to learn. And, and that it is what it is. It's, you know, it's, it's part of the process. And, uh, um, I think it's, I think it's good, you know, good for you. And it was definitely good for me. So I heard that Navy SEAL training is pretty much one of, I know uh, everybody's going to be listening from all different branches, but I heard it's the toughest. <laughs> um, and I know my husband was Marine. Uh, he was uh, in recon, so he trained a little bit with Navy SEALs and I've heard about some of that training. Um, in particularly the one that freaks me out the most is when you're doing the water training and you have your hands tied behind your back and all this crazy stuff. Um, what was the hardest part of training for you? Yeah, no. And I got a lot of respect for, you know, whether you're Ranger, SF, Recon. I, I actually know several Recon guys that came over and went through SEAL training and became SEALs. I know several mm -hmm. of them. Um, and, you know, um, the hardest part for me uh, was uh, Hell Week. Uh, I had, I actually had to do it twice and, uh, it's just five and a half days of, you know, no sleep and just getting the crap kicked out of you the entire time. So I think it's like 120 hours, pretty much continuous training. You, uh, you get about three hours total, the entire, the entire, you know, five and a half days. And so it's not like you get three hours a night, you get 
three hours total. And that, you know, that's, that's, that's really difficult. It's hard to even really uh, describe it to people because, and you're not sitting there playing patty cake or, you know, writing, writing essays, you're getting destroyed. And uh, they're, they're, they continually bring, are trying to keep you, um, uh, it's designed to uh, make everybody fail and then see how you do when you fail. Because a lot of guys that show up to training like that have typically been good at everything that they've done. And a lot of them um, aren't familiar with failure and what that feels like. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, they, they, they use the Pacific ocean to constantly keep you pretty close to being hypothermic um, cold. You know, it's, it's one thing to be tired. It's another thing to be cold and tired. It's a completely other thing to be cold, wet and tired. And, you know, a lot of it, it, a lot of it takes place in your mind. And I think one of the biggest things that gets a lot of people and it almost got me the first time I went through um, the first time I went through, I made it through Hell Week before I failed out of training and uh, what, what, what the human mind instinctively wants to do when you get faced with something like that, that's five and a half days. And it's that brutal. It's that difficult as you want to try and eat the elephant all in one bite. And you start thinking towards Friday and you start thinking, wait a minute, Patty, I've never been this cold. I've never been this tired. I've never been this miserable. And it's only Tuesday. How am I going to make it to Friday? And so interestingly, my parents tried to teach me from, you know, the time I was little that you eat the elephant one bite at a time. But when you're getting hammered in a storm like that, it's, it's really tough to, you know, go back to that and be like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to break this up into small pieces. And, um, you know, I did a much better job of that my, my second time, but, um, you know, the first time that I failed out of training, I made it, like I said, I made it through whole week, but I was very immature. Um, and, uh, you know, you probably, if you knew me at the time, you probably wouldn't have thought, Oh, this is a really immature young man, but they're looking for a different level of maturity. Uh, the type of maturity that will put your teammate, um, and somebody in your boat crew, uh, and somebody in your platoon uh, before yourself when when things are very uncomfortable because the natural human response when things are get chaotic and scary and you know over overbearing is that we we the natural human response is to become really selfish and to focus on ourselves and 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 that's exactly what I did and um you know and so that was one reason that I'm glad that they you know I failed out of training and that they they actually performance dropped me from training and said, Hey, you're obviously tough, but we need the best of the best here. And you're not, you're not measuring up to it. So we're going to recommend that you go out to the fleet for two and a half years or one year. And, um, it took me two and a half years to get back, but you know, it was, it was in, ended up being a really good experience for me because not only did it, did I have to eventually, I didn't have to, but I decided to take ownership of that failure and be like, instead of blaming other people, which is also really common for us to want to do, I had to, you know, take a look at it and been like, Hey, no, that's, this is on you hundred percent. You screwed this up. If you would have showed up with a better attitude, if you would have showed up more with more preparation, um, you wouldn't have wound up in this spot. And so it took me a while to take ownership and accountability of that failure, but I'm actually glad I did because, um, I think too many, too many adults and, and too many, even too many kids, it, it takes us some, some people never learn how to take accountability and ownership, you know, of their failures and, um, you know, their life. 
And, uh, you know, it was, it was a good wake up call for me. And I, you know, it definitely started to change my thinking and even my behavior, and, um, dealing with my failures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And it makes it harder when we don't admit our mistakes and move on. Um, so you were in the Navy for 16 years, correct? No, I was in the close, but yeah, I was in the Navy for 13 years. Oh, 13. Okay. Probably felt like 20. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so after you ended up getting out of the Navy, what did you do? So, um, my my wife and I started a small business called Bottle Breacher. Um, I actually started that while I was still in the Navy. Um, there was about two years of overlap time there. But oh. um, yeah, so, you know, we we started this business while I was still in the Navy, while I was still on active duty. And um, we, we got an opportunity to uh, go on Shark Tank, interestingly enough, right as, and I think this was a God thing completely, but um you know, right as I was getting out of the military, um, in October of 2014 was my last month in the military. And my episode, our Shark Tank episode aired, uh, in November of 2014. So like one month later. So it was a pretty, uh, pretty interesting transition, you know, going from, you know, being in the SEAL teams to kind of getting thrown into the deep end of entrepreneurship, um, going on that show because, you know, when you go on that show, entrepreneurship is hard already, but when you go on that show, they have, at the time they had about 12 million viewers. And so we, we went to bed the day before Shark Tank having, and we would make about 135 bottle breachers on a a good day. And then when we woke up the next day, we had to make 60,000 bottle breachers and we had about 20,000 emails to answer and a lot of pissed off customers. Like we were, we were definitely, you know, um, grateful for that opportunity and all the support and all the sales that came in. But because we're a made in the, made USA company, we don't, you know, we don't just call China or we don't call Singapore, Taiwan or Vietnam and say, Hey, we need, can you send us like 60,000, you know, um, units we, we make them. And so, you know, it was definitely an interesting transition and, um, you know, and, and on top of it, you know, I was doing it with my spouse, which is one of the hardest things you can ever do is work with your spouse. So it was a real, um, eye-opening experience for me. Um, and it, it, it was interesting because I think that, I think God kind of used that situation to expose a lot of the um, the problems in our marriage and even, you know, a lot of our own personal problems that needed to be dealt with so that we could be better spouses to, towards one another. And it took, a, it took a while and it was very difficult. And, but I talk about it because, you know, I, I think that I, I think that if you, if you figure something out, you know, and, and you don't share it with other people, if you go through something difficult and you don't share it with other people, you're not really being what we call in the SEAL teams, a team guy, you know, you're not, you're not using the knowledge, even if you, even if you have to um, expose a little shame or a little something that you're not necessarily proud of um, to help somebody else out there. Cause I know that there's people that listen to your show, Patty, that, you know, are struggling in their, in their, in their marriage as well. And whether they're running a business together or not, it really doesn't matter. And so, um, you know, that, that, that was some of the, some of the cool things that came out of, uh, bottle breacher, not just, you know, uh, being able to uh, provide for my family in a way that I never was, you know, exposed to as a kid, but uh, more importantly, you know, it taught, 
you know, through the, through the trials and through the storms, it taught me how to be a better husband. Mm-hmm. Better Gosh. Husband. Yeah. Cause you know, thinking about it, you and your spouse were separated probably quite a bit when you were a Navy SEAL, you know, traveling and all that. And you had, you know, that adrenaline going and, and then you come home and, and then to be thrown into a whole nother atmosphere was definitely probably very challenging. Yeah, no, it really, it really was. Um, and that's one of the things that, um, like we have a really, I don't, I'm sure it was pretty similar in recon, but we, we had about a 95% divorce rate in the SEAL teams, you know? So, um, the fact that we even made it through that together, you know, was it, you know, a, a blessing in itself, but then being able to, you know, grow a, a business together, you know, has pretty equal, equally abysmal ratings when it comes to keeping marriages together, starting, you know, when you, you and your spouse start a business together. And so I'm grateful um, that my wife and I have been able to work it, got work, work through it um, and, um, you know, keep our marriage. It's stronger than ever. And I, and, and I definitely want to point out that, you know, the reason that it is stronger than ever is because we put God at the center of it. Um, and if, it, if we didn't do that, there'd be no way that, you know, I don't even know if we'd still be together, but, um, but no, it's been a blessing. And I, again, I like to share that with people because I know there's a lot of people out there with pants or some of the same questions that we had, some of the same frustrations that we had. And, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of us look in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Um, so when I met my husband, he was just getting out of the Marine Corps. He had a 10 year break in service. He was a policeman and then he was in the army post nine 11. So, um, I can relate though, to the part where, um, he was, he was deployed for like 15 months to Iraq. Um, he had a tiny little R and R in there, but, um, I know that even when he came back from that situation, it, he was different. I was different. It was a lot of crazy work. Yeah. <laughs> um, now tell me about, um, and I'm kind of going fast because you have a lot to your story, Eli. Um, but you went from being in college and we went to talk about your Navy SEAL experience a little bit and then bottle breacher. And I heard you're running for Congress. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're, um, you know, it was, uh, early last year. You know, my wife and I, uh, we decided that uh, we needed um, to just get flexible in our life. And uh, we, you know, we uh, we had decided to uh, make some make some big moves in our life. And uh, we got the we were asked if we would consider running for office, you know, by some folks that do this type of stuff every single day. Um, And, uh, you know, we had some real good conversations with, with the folks about it and said, you know, Hey, look, I'm not, I'm never going to be a yes, man. I'm not a politician. I never wanted to be a politician, but I recognize our country is in a lot of trouble. And I know that a lot of other veterans have noticed the same thing, which is why you have so many veterans running right now. Um, and so, uh, I'm willing to, I'm willing to go serve in that capacity. And, uh, you know, with all of, with, you know, all of my, you know, negative act, attributes or weaknesses or whatever you want to call them. And so we decided to give it a shot. Here we are. We're about, we, we launched our campaign in July 20th. We're running for U.S. Congress here in Arizona in CD2. It's the largest uh, geographical uh, district in the country that's not like a standalone, you know, um, district where a state only has one district. But 
you know, it's, it's interesting. We got a lot of cool cities in this, in this district. We've got Flagstaff, we've got Sedona, we've got the Grand Canyon, you know, we've got Payson and Prescott and a lot of cool places here in Arizona. And it's a, it's a big rural district. And, um, at the end of the day, I was just tired of complaining about it. And, um, so I wanted to see if I could do, you know, be a part of the change that I wanted to see. And, uh, like I said, I have a lot of weaknesses. I know that I'm not a politician. I know I don't, there's a lot of things about this world that I'm, I'm learning about every single day, but, you know, I think that Americans are tired of, you know, tired of the status quo. I think they're tired of the same old suits and, uh, you know, the, the, the career politicians that, you know, have become masters at lying to your face, telling you one thing, telling you they're going to fight for you and then selling you out you know, the moment they get an opportunity. And so here we are, we're doing great. Um, we've actually set back to back fundraising records in this district. And uh, that's something that's pretty cool because it's, it's usually the number one indicator is sad that as sad as that is, it's the, usually the number one indicator that people look at because um, most of us don't want to part with our hard-earned money. And so if people are willing to part with their their money to support you, usually that's a good indicator that you're on the right track. And the cool thing, Patty, is that, you know, that these records that I'm talking about that we've set here, they're not with like, it's not like big, big donor dollars or like PAC money or special interest. The average, um, average donation to our campaign has been around like uh, 35, 40 bucks. And so it's, uh, it's been really cool to, just see that the people are, you know, they're excited about, uh, you know, different, different type of candidates that have, you know, lived lives where they, you know, they've actually gone and done stuff and served and sacrificed and started small businesses. And, um, you know, not necessarily, you know, your, your typical career politician. So it's, it's been, it's been good, but I say that, and and knowing that I may never become a congressman, I I'm very well aware of that. But one thing that I wasn't okay, one thing I wasn't okay with was sitting around and just complaining about. I've always been the type of guy. Hey, if you want to, if if you know, swing for the fences, go big, and don't be afraid to fail because there's you get into something like this. There's only 435 congressmen, uh, men and women in in the U.S., and so it's it's, you know, this is, this is big league, a lot of, lot of, a uh, lot of focus, a lot of attention and a lot of money gets thrown into these races. And so um, I think a lot of the things that, you know, God's, you know, guided and directed me through up until this point in my life have prepared us for what we're doing now. And so we'll see what he has at the end of this, but um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, you know, go try and serve again. I think that's amazing. And I think you would be an amazing congressman. I know I would vote for you. Um, now Thank tell you. me, yeah, definitely. You know, um, we've talked about all these experiences just kind of on the surface, but what would you say one of the hardest obstacles have been in your life and how did you overcome that obstacle? Oh man, there's been so, there's been so many Patty, you know, one of the, um, I talked a little bit about learning to work with my spouse. That was one of the hardest. Um, one of the earlier, you know, I think when I was even less mature was um, when my parents got divorced when I was 17 years old. And uh, that was a really, that was a really tough thing for me because it, it totally blindsided me, had no, didn't see it coming. And, you know, watching your family get torn apart 
that's one of the hardest things I think anybody can go through. And, um, you know, just bouncing back from that, um, you know, that was one of the hardest things that I've ever gone through, you know, just watching, um, you know, the impact that it had on my family. Um, and, and then, you know, as a young man, you know, one of the, you know, one of the, you're, you're, you, you always want, you always want mentorship and you always want, one of my favorite authors is a guy named John Eldridge and he writes a book called wild at heart. And he, he says that the number one question that every young man has is this, do I have what it takes? And a lot of, usually that in, in with, in regards to a young man, that, that question can only be answered. Um, masculinity can only be passed down uh, through masculinity. And so, it, you know, it was, it was tough for me because, you know, once my, once my father was no longer, you know, um, living with us, you know, it, it really rocked my world and, and it definitely left a lot of questions unanswered, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a much big, much bigger part of my story. I don't think we have time to go into all of it, but that was one of the hardest things for me is to bounce back from that. And, uh, and just, you know, realize that, you know, stuff like that, it doesn't have to define you. You can, you can go on, you can, you know, you can rally, you can, uh, you can go for, you know, go for big things, even if things, you know, in your life go sideways. And that's something that, again, why, another reason I like to talk about my failures, like, let me, let me just go through some real quick, Patty, real quick. Um, I was, you know, I was fired from Baskin Robbins and Dairy Queen in the same year in high school. And in both cases, I deserved it. You know, um, the first time I went through SEAL training, I didn't pat, I didn't make it through. I already talked about that. Um, the first time I went through sniper school, I failed. I didn't make it through that. The first time I sat down with an investor for my business, I failed. I didn't make, you know, he didn't invest in my business. And it's just like, I like to talk about failure because there's a lot of people that have been trained to see failure as a stop sign. When the people that I know in life that are the most successful, they see it as a detour sign. Okay. I screwed that up. Take accountability, take ownership of it, but then find another way around. Don't give up. Dust yourself off. Figure it out. Get back in the game, right? And so, you know, those the the, the divorce was a hard one for me. Um, you know, it, you know, um, working with my spouse was a hard one for me. Those those were a couple of two two things that were hard for me to deal with. And then, you know, I I dealt with a lot of I dealt with a lot of anger and rage um, when I left the when I left the service, I think I had a lot of survivors guilt going on. And then I had some other stuff going on. And, um, you know, as a, as a guy who went immediately into business and I, I didn't want it former Navy SEAL. I didn't want people to know that how much I was struggling and how much I was hurting on the inside. And, you know, it was something that I tried to keep bottled up inside. And, uh, um, that was something that was tough for me to get through as well. And I actually, you know, I went, to an event, I sought some help and, uh, it changed my life. And so, uh, for, for any, any vets out there or anybody in general watching this show, you know, that's struggling with, uh, you know, issues, um, don't be, don't be afraid to go get help, man. We all need help. No, no shame, no shame in that at all. Mm -hmm. That's so important. And you know what I love about you opening up to on the show is I've met a lot of people who've run for different offices and I know how hard it is when you have the opponent just trying to throw dirt at you and trying to bring up 
past behaviors. And so when you're just really transparent, those kind of people can never win. Um, because you, I mean, you're telling everybody like, this is what I did. We're all human. We all screw up or we all have problems. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's something I said from the start. If I'm going to do this, I'm just going to be real and authentic and open. And if, and if the cool thing, Patty is, is that I'm, I'm offering to serve and to represent people. And if they decide, Hey, he's got too much baggage. We don't want him to represent us. That, like I said, that's cool with me. What's not cool with me is knowing that I could possibly do something about it and sitting on the sidelines and complaining. That's not okay with me. So it may, it, in, in, for all other candidates out there that might listen or hear this, I mean, that is the, that is the way to take a lot of stress off your plate. It's the best way to run a race when you're not focused on the outcome, but you're focused on your posture. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> that's true. And I think that's what all Americans are looking for right now. All of the people who listen to my show that I've heard from so far have said, you know, we want to see some changes in America. And we all know that the biggest change that can be made are by authentic people who really care about our country and not those out there who are just hungry for greed or attention. Right. Right. It's a crazy world, man. I, like I totally get, I totally get the quest and the desire for like power and money and all the things that we chase after foolishly as, as human beings. I get it. I've been there. I've done it. It's just such an, it's such a weird world, man. It's like politics is such a nasty world. Like, it would be if I was chasing after those things, it would be the last world that I would I would go to because it's like it's different, I think, in so many ways than so many other ways that you could chase after this stuff just because it's like uh, it is nasty, man. And it is full of snakes and pit vipers. And, you know, and that's why I would I would have never done this if I didn't feel like it was a calling. I would have never done this if my wife wasn't 100 percent on board with it. Um, and so. You know, it's, it is what it is where I think we're where God wants us to be, regardless of that means that we become, you know, we, we serve in Congress or not. But, you know, sometimes I think that you just have to say, you know, just raise your hand and be like, yep, I'll go, I'll, I'll serve and, and then let the cards fall where they do. But um, I think like going back to what I was talking about with failure, I think, uh, you know, you get good at anything you practice. And if you practice letting your fear control you, because I'm afraid, I'm afraid all the time, but I don't let it control me. You know, I just say, okay, it's just, it's just part of this, this journey. It's part of, you know, either becoming successful or in my, what I would say, becoming who God created you to be. There's always going to be a level of fear and anxiety. And if, if you let it control you, then, you know, that will define you. But if you say, okay, it's just a part of it. I'm I'm not going to let it control me. I'm going to push through. I'm going to fight through. Um, You have a much better chance of either becoming successful or like I would say, becoming who God created you to be. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Wow. Eli, thank you so much for being on the show. Could you please share your social media links with our listeners? Yeah, thank you. So our campaign website, if you guys want to learn more about me, is Eli4Arizona.com. That's Eli4Arizona.com. And then uh, on social media, I'm Eli Crane underscore CEO on all my social media. Excellent. Eli, thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything that you would like to add before we wrap it up today? <sighs> I don't think so. You know, I just think that... Um, you know, one one thing that I like to talk about with people is uh, too many of us start thinking about our legacy far too late in life. 
And one of the best drills that I could, or one of the best things that I think I could give anybody listening to is like, think about your funeral. Think about who's going to show up. Think about who's not going to show up. Think about what are they going to say about you? And then think about what you want people to say about you and work backwards from there. Like, it's kind of like visualization. You know, we used to do this, this type of thing in the SEAL teams all the time, like dry firing, shooting, long range shooting, whatever, what, whatever it is. But if we did that with our funeral and our legacy and what we, what we wanted to leave, leave this earth behind, what, you know, the legacy we wanted to leave behind. And then we work backwards from there. I think it's a, it's a lot easier for you to start making the right decisions, uh, building the right relationships so that one day at your funeral, cause we're all, we all have one, right. One day at our funeral, those people, the right people show up, the people, the haters don't show up and they're saying the things about you that you wanted to leave behind and that you wanted to be remembered for. And so I would say that's a, you know, a fun little, maybe not a fun little drill, but something that I think that if more of us did, um, we would end, we would wind up living more purpose driven lives. Yes, I agree. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on my show today. And thank you everybody for tuning in. And um, I hope you all just have an enjoyable day. If you've missed any of my podcasts, go back and listen. Eli, thank you and good luck on your journey. I can't wait to maybe have you on. I don't know if you're allowed to come on to my show while you're uh, you can come on my show while you're on co- in Congress, right? Like, come on. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Let's do yeah, it. <laughs> we'll reconvene. Hopefully, okay, you'll, thank you, Patty. I, I appreciate they, it. Yeah, I think you have an amazing shot. I can't wait to see where you go. You take care. All right. You too. Thanks, thank everybody. Thank you for listening. Please head over to pattycatter.com for the latest updates on Patty, her talk show, and what she's up to. You can also find her on Amazon TV and Roku and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Patty Catter. Until next time.